Hello. This is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice. I am Michael Q. And I am Roger Bell West. And we're here to talk about role-playing games in general. And in specific, what are we talking about this week? Uh, looking at dragon meat. And all the nice stuff that we bought there. And uh, games that aren't role-playing games. But have very strong role-playing elements. And the... Empire of the Petal Throne, Great uh, great Solyanu and Tekimel in general. Things that we expect to find in a modern role-playing game that aren't in the older ones. And also, um, what to do about Christmas. Oh, is it getting that sort of time of year? I haven't noticed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Going, to, going to Tesco's, you'll notice it. Oh, how people manage to work in Tesco's with all that jingle jangle going on, I don't know. It's a, it's a horror theme appropriate for the time of year. Anyway, on to more pleasant things. December, and that means it is the season to be jolly, ho ho, and uh, try and uh, ignore what the season is doing to your bank balance. And speaking of that, um, the festive season starts for gamers in the UK with Dragon Meat, which is um, a big one-day event at uh, Kensington Town Hall in London, where it'll all go along. Now it's 8th, 10th year, something like that. Something like that, well, I think it's been going on for a good while. It was an attempt to revive our ageing memories of uh, great games days back in the 80s and 90s, I, I think. Pretty much, yeah. And it's uh, done pretty well. It has its own routines and things. And uh, we both went along. Um, you were being a man in black. Yes, and oddly enough, for, the, for a role-playing event, I did pretty much no role-playing. Um, I was running demonstrations of Ogre in its huge box. Oh, yes. Probably at least three times so many people just turned up and said, Gosh, that really is a very big box, isn't it? Or words to that effect. <laughs> if they were very good, we'd let them try to lift it. Oh, yeah. I, um, I, but, man, yeah. I managed to do a bit of role-playing on the demo of Hill Folk, which I went and bought. I'd be interested in your thoughts on that. I yeah, I'll be interested chance. in my thoughts. I'm, I'm, I'm working my way through. And uh, also, I also bought GURPS Zombies, which is <laughs> full of uh, well, statistics for what you need to wear to avoid becoming one of the living dead. Um, and uh, and I attended uh, a live uh, Ken and uh, Robin talk about stuff. Mm-hmm. Both looked a little jet-lagged, actually. Yeah. Oh, Pre- well. presu- presumably relatively Rob Ford free at this point. Uh, yes, yes. Well, there's not a lot you can say about Rob Ford. Picks up some dice, the unofficial talk dice. Good grief. Nothing shows a commitment to a campaign like getting some dice for it. <laughs> and um, finally laid hands on a copy of Guillotine. Ah, that's fun. Um, But it did occur to me that I'm not actually doing all that much role-playing at this thing. And then then it occurred to me there there are an awful lot of games that are quite enjoyable games, um, but they they look like role-playing games, they act like role-playing games, but they aren't. I'm thinking you hear of games like Arkham Horror, uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill, uh, various games of this sort, which, in mechanical terms... Mm are, by role-playing standards, very simple. Yeah. You generally have some sort of monster you're fighting, yeah. and you're, you're trying to build up your abil- fighting abilities in order to have a chance of beating it, and you're going up against various minor nasties on the way. Yeah. But if you just play these as, oh, well, I, I have a stat of seven and I need a stat of nine, I'd better go and find something, 
it's really quite boring. Yeah. What one ends up doing, at least what every group I've been in ends up doing, is role-playing. It's not complicated role-playing, but it's... It's right. Well, I, I am this person. I, I, I am the plucky girl reporter or I, I, I am the hobo. Yeah. And therefore I'm going to act in this particular way. And if the game's at all cunningly designed, then then your play token has enough personality that playing in that way is the sensible way to play for your character. I think the first thing I should say is that all of the games I've noticed that have this in them are cooperative games. And most of them and let's start with um, Betrayal at Hill House, have a traitor element mm. in them. In, in that one, you go in and partway through, one of the players discovers that they are actually the bad guy who's brought them all here for um, evil and nefarious purposes to um, have them slaughtered by cultists or raised demons or what, or whatever. The exact details varying based on the... Yeah, and, that, and one of the nice things is that, that it has so much variance um, and, and surprise to it. It's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful bit of design. But you, I'd also throw in Shadows Over Camelot. Yes. And I think I've only ever played it the once, the uh, Battlestar Galactica game. Mm. I like to pass by tables where people are playing that and mutter, you're all Cylons. <laughs> it's surprising how often it does turn out to be. And the extreme um, simple rules for that might be something like the Resistance. Yes, um, yes. Or which has its roots in um, in Werewolf. Yep. But it, it's basically everybody has to accuse everybody else of being a traitor, otherwise they won't be considered loyal enough. Yeah. Suddenly, when I am feeling a bit lazy and not like putting a session together, I sometimes think, well, wouldn't it be nice if I could just run this instead? And Is, is this a threat to role-playing? It, it's easier to get going. You, do, you don't have all the faff of scenario design, character design, complicated rules. It is sometimes a bit tempting. Well, it's, it's not only tempting, it's a temptation I have yielded to on occasion, <laughs> mostly by, the, by observing that this, the board game element, aligns into what some indie RPGs are doing. Very small scale ones, the ones that we've talked about, which are only going to ever tell one story. Mm. But it's a pre set up story. The mechanics of the game inform or enforce the, the role playing element. And you're pushed along by some form of internal logic, some form of compulsive narrative that's going towards an end. And you've got to accommodate your, your play to it. It would be interesting to see what would happen if you took say, the Arkham Horror, stripped out all the gorgeous components, and they are gorgeous, mm, Yeah, um, particularly the board, and just presented it to people as an indie RPG where, where you are you know, heroes going up, going up against the Elder Gods. <laughs> because in terms of mechanics, I suspect it would be quite similar. Or it could be. Yeah. Um, I don't the, know. When, do, when does... I, it is a, is a, a, a complicated question. Technically, with the board games, you are... Adding the uh, the role playing as chrome as as decoration. Yeah, it reminds reminds me a lot of the sort of thing we've we've heard about early RPGs, where mm. you know your characterisation as a dwarf might be right. I'm going to talk about drinking ale and sing about gold. Now that is, now, yeah, but that is pure. Uh, and that is pure. Um, it it, it doesn't it doesn't affect your stats, but it's yeah. a, it's a thing you do because it fits the character. Mm. There was a card game called Dark Cults um, a oh, while yes. back. Which basically was a game of uh, of card matching and building up sets, but it had 
uh, the culture that had got attached to it, at least with the one friend I had who was an enthusiast, seemed to be, let's make this into um, a storytelling horror game. That was certainly the impression I always got about it. Mind you, I only played it with James Wallace and James Wallace is James Wallace. So. Yeah, and, and when I, I played it, I felt, hang on, there is nothing here to connect all the storytelling role-playing to the actual mechanics of the game. And therefore, for me, it, 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 felt, it fell through. It felt as silly as um, Rippy Cheap in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, who can't play chess because he, 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 he can't bear to sacrifice any of his pieces because he identifies with them so much. That's a knight. That's a, that's a queen. I can't possibly sacrifice that. Mm. And, it, and it, just, it just didn't work. But these, for various reasons, are perhaps because the issue of betrayal or the issue of working in cooperation with other people are central to, to winning the games, these, as social events, work. And make yeah. the role playing central to 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 the game, even even if the mechanics don't think about it. I'm wondering if there's there's a distant connection to those how to host a murder things that were popular a few years back. Yeah, I, quite a few I years think back. I, I think I ever played one of those. The, the um, idea being, I discovered I was the I was the killer to my shock. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've got a social setting, and you, you've got some fairly informal channels of people to go down just so, so they're not completely lost for something to do. But what makes it fun is when they start adding to that and um, doing their own thing. One of the nice things about it, I think, from, from a games design point of view, is there's no particular requirement for you to be consistent in your role-playing because the rules will will cause you to behave, yeah, at least broadly, like the character you're meant to be. So if, if, you, if you mess up and think, I'm going to do something horribly heroic, even though I'm not a hero type... Well, maybe you can, maybe, maybe that's part of your character arc, but it's, it's something you're going to find very hard to do, as opposed to the guy who's actually heroic. There is a problem with, 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 the, with this sort of game. When it takes over and nullifies um, the more expansive elements of, of role-playing, I've been thinking, when, when looking at some of the, of the more prescriptive modern role-playing games, that saying to a player, you can't do that, is, mm. is, um, is when, when, you're, when you're doing a full-on to court, if that's the phrase, the phrase I want, role-playing game, um, that, uh, that you don't want anything that says you can't do that. You can say you can try that, but but to say you can't you can't do that, if it's not about something that's physically impossible, you can't flap your arms and fly to the moon. Not in this universe. But you can try if you really you want to. You can try if you really want to. Um, I, that, to me, reminds me of role-playing games on computers. Mm. And the, the main problem there is that if, if the guy who programmed the game didn't think of a particular action, it ain't going to work. Yeah, which is why the GM's art is still a core part of most role-playing games, that somebody has to say, somebody has to hold it together and say, all right, well, this is how it works. I love this sort of thing. I, I And I find it a, a, a good way to exercise the role-playing muscles. It's not a replacement. It is an enhancement. In some, in some cases, it can make the, the full judicious use of rules um, that, that form a narrative and form character. I suspect um, is it is a core part of, 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 of central role-playing games. But this over-relies, but it's fun, for an, it's fun for an evening or two or three. Yeah, and part, part of the difference, I think, is that you, what you're never going to get is anything like a long-term character development. I mean, you, you play the game, mm. that's it, you've played that character, the game's over. You, yeah. you might play it again in a different game, but it's not going to be the same character. Um, 
so what one game is isolated. Um, but this does at least mean that the story comes to a conclusion. It may yeah. be, it may be, we all got eaten, but at least it's there was an ending rather than the game just faded out, which is a recurrent problem. I, 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 we got to talk about your problem with fading, Roger, because because you can keep complaining about this. I run run games that come to some sort of an end, or at least 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 an end of the season. Um, And uh, some of my players complain that I've been the end of the world in slightly too often. I've been informed after the fact that a particular adventure was the climax of of the season, Mm. and I didn't notice it at the time. What one game I would like to mention I have, haven't played yet, but I've heard interesting things about um, is a sort of semi-cooperative survival game coming out next year uh, called Dead of Winter, and it, it the, basically the, there has been a zombie apocalypse, but that's mostly in the background. Yeah. And, the, and this is about you are in a small community of survivors trying to gather resources and you know, last out the winter and things like that. And as far as I can see from what I've heard so far, what you're trying to do is win by achieving your own personal victory yeah. condition, while at the same time not letting the colony get destroyed because then everybody's dead. Mm. So you will be having to choose repeatedly between advancing your own victory state or advancing yeah. the collective one. Do you search the police station for weapons or do you burn it down to make the nightmares go away? Mm. That's nice. That's... Um, a cunning. If it works, that sounds like a very cunning piece of design. But uh, reserve judgment. Indeed. I, I will certainly be taking a look at this when it becomes available. And please, uh, if you have any more of those, tell us about them, because uh, we're interested. Yeah, the borders are fuzzy. Hmm. We do like we do like f- feedback. Uh, somebody said that we were serving the grognard community. I think that, that was the phrase. I'm not quite sure. I like that. I feel like I feel like I'm on the pulsing edge of the advancement of the hobby. You, know? you probably are more than I am. Yeah, well, I, I can see it from where I am. I'm not may not be on it, but I can <laughs> see it. But uh, we also got a request uh, to talk about Tekimel, about the Empire of the Petal Throne, and this since it takes us back to the very early days of. Um, role-playing games, is perhaps a little grognardy. This is not quite an out-of-the-cupboard, because I haven't given up on uh, Techimel yet. I'm, I'm still fiddling with it, and someday, soon, real soon now, I hope to um, complete my great project of finding a system which it will actually work well with. Um, but my notorious laziness has, um, has frustrated this uh, enterprise at uh, almost every juncture. It's had its share of systems, hasn't it? Oh, it has had, if anything, too many systems. Let, let me do the historical overview first, whilst I've got it fairly fresh in my memory. Mohammed Abdul Rahman Barker, whose birth name was Phil, and that's generally what people called him, was an American academic in the field of uh, Southeast Asian languages, he uh, uh, chaired um, a faculty in Urdu and Southeast Asian Studies at Minneapolis, I think, and was an American convert to Islam, as you can probably tell by his name. And from an early interest in 
linguistics and from a, a hobby of uh, wargaming, he began to develop a world of his own, um, a fantastic world with elements which are consciously Jack Vancean. It is um, set at the end of a long uh, thread of, of history and uh, very pulpish and fantastic. And this world was called Tecumel. And I should apologise to any purists out there who do not like any of my pronouncement. I'm going to talk about the language issues in a moment, but um, I'm just doing my best, Gov. And when it came about that in the early 70s, he heard about a new thing coming out of a company in Lake Geneva called Dungeons and Dragons. He thought this was a really cunning idea and began to run a campaign um, set in his own world, the world of his own creation. And eventually this came to the ears of TSR and they said, hello, why don't we, uh, why don't we take advantage of this? And offered him the chance to publish a role-playing game. And that was Empire of the Petal Throne. And that was produced a beautiful edition with a, a painting by Barker on the front and um, lots and lots of his own illustrations inside and colour maps and everything. And my word, I seem to recall it was a horrendous price for for, uh, for the time. It wasn't a cheap product. I dimly remember hearing about it and thinking, gosh, that's a lot of money. Yeah. I wasn't so shocked until uh, RuneQuest 3, again, until RuneQuest 3 came out. But <laughs> uh, I suspect my younger self would faint if he looked at uh, the, some of the prices I'm paying nowadays. And this came out and there was some support for it. There was only ever one puny adventure ever published I think and the supplements in Dragon and other TSR publications and people would send um, accounts of their campaigns to the professor and it would get written up in um, a small column in, in the Dragon in the form of reports to the Emperor, reports submitted to the Petal Throne and then it sort of died for a while. Now the problem I think to begin with, is that the professor, according to what I've heard when he was running it, was fairly free form in, um, in in what he did. He would narrate, and people would say what they were doing, and there'd be a few single dice rolls in in, in each evening, rolling on a d20. So basically, um, a much later style of role playing than one would expect. Yeah, it were actually uh, both earlier and later derived, I think, from. Things like the Wallenstein role-playing come wargaming scenarios that were happening around that time. It was very much a GM-led uh, campaign, his his own campaign, and the reports of of it are are still circulating and and enthused about by people forty years later. But there was never any great support for it um, in the form of systems. Uh, Empire of the Petal Throne, the first one, is a slight re-chrome of initial old original D&D and doesn't really suit what he is doing. But then I never really felt that D&D suited anything except itself very much. Yeah, it, it's trickier to see these days because we now have fantasy authors who have not been brought up by reading Tolkien. They've been brought up by reading D&D. Yeah, this is not just generally necessarily an entirely good thing. Indeed. And then, in the mid-80s, I think, there was uh, Swords and Glory, 
which was published by Luz Suchi. Is that is that the name? Um, Socky, I think. Socky, yeah. Um, and Game Science. And it came out first with a very heavy, systemless um, account of the world and its cultures and its history and its background, which I, I still have a very battered old copy of, and which is magnificent and brilliantly done. Let me say that the, the, the non... The best thing about Tecumel has always been the non-game-based material for it, the background. Uh, there's a thing called um, the Book of Ebon Bindings, which is extracts from a demonologist's grimoire, giving the most mm-hmm. gory and, in certain cases, um, not recommended for for juvenile audience uh, accounts of how to raise the, the, the greater demons of the world. But- presumably too obscure a publication for the Bible bashers to notice and condemn it. Oh, I don't think it ever came across... Uh, uh, if they had noticed, there would have been uh, there would have been ructions. Uh, there, I, I said there were pulpy elements to uh, uh, to Tekimel, and, uh, and the two goddesses dedicated entirely to sex, pleasure, and uh, other stuff that uh, probably ought not to be mentioned to infants is in there, and there's there, there are pictures of naked slave girls and naked non-slave girls. And there is a very, I don't know, all right, pleasingly adolescent <laughs> feeling to it. Um, and s- anyway, and then with, uh, with with that great release, which everybody I think who, who loved the the game loved, came a game system which nobody could love, um, which was just overly detailed, unworkable, clunky, and. <sighs> It was a thing only a wargamer uh, could love, and only a wargamer who didn't actually want to do very much with it. I've tried various times to translate it into later, more what I think are more usable systems, and it's it's a hard thing to digest and and to do, and this is part part of my problem. Apart from the clunkiness, was it a better fit for? The Tecumel way of doing things. I'm not sure it was. I he Phil Barker also p- published five novels. The first two of which, Man of Gold, and Flame Song, which were the ones which got professional editing, are really quite good. The others are perhaps only for enthusiasts, but have, have nice things in it. And I've always felt that his vision of the world, how it worked was something that he never bothered to fit uh, to a game system because he was going to hand-wave things. He, yeah. he, he knew what was in his head and could make could make it work. For instance, there are two sorts of magic in Tecumel. There's psychic magic and there's ritual magic. And, and if you read The Man of Gold, the account of the psychic magician looks like a pulpy era telepath uh, come, come seer and works as you would expect that to. But because he had originally the, the binding of D&D mm. on things, and... So you've got spells. So you've got spells and special effects, and those don't work quite as well with psychic magic. The ritual magic is is beautiful. It's not as as over-ornate and, uh, and complicated as oh, something like Exalted, say. But it has a very Vancian feel, and the names of the spells have a, have a very, very Vancian feel. But as I say, I never felt that any of the game systems it's had have been a particularly good fit. I'm probably slighting the most recent one, um, uh, Tecumel, the, the World of the Petal Throne, which is Tristat, 
based. Okay. Um, I've looked at it. I've, and I'm afraid my impulse was to say, um, all right, well, I'll, I'll use this as source material for something else. I feel, on the whole, that what I should do, if I were really the enthusiast I am, I'm not a lazy old grognard git, is start from the beginning and try and write a system that would actually fit the world as it's as it's depicted. It would require a lot of support in the creation of social structures. The empire itself is an ancient, very conservative, very um, well. We're better than everybody else, and everybody knows it. Mm -hmm. Culture with lots of individual clans and temples and political factions, all of them fighting together. I've thought that Rain might do it, but the great stumbling block for me has always been translating the, the two parallel magic systems into, um, in, into something that uh, can be used by, by, by gamers. Yeah. And I'm not sure that Rain has, has the support for, for bo both of them. I thought about Hero Quest, but I have other hero problems with Hero Quest. And if only Hero Quest worked as I, I wished it did, then I'd do it in, a, in an instant. But it doesn't. I don't know. I think I think it's beautiful. I think it's brilliant. There, there are uh, fairly alien, as as I understand it. It's presumably it's, partly because of his background. Partly because of his background. It's got a Mayan. It's got a very Mayan uh, feel to it. I'm told that there are. Uh, Bits which remind people of of Hindu, but the the fact that that, that even the the nice temples will uh, take uh, uh, take people out and rip their hearts out uh, in sacrifice to the gods. Well, some of the nice temples will. You're you're all right with others, but at least at least one of them regards sacrificing people uh, to the gods by ripping their hearts out as the perfectly decent and and, and conservative way to behave. Uh, it seems to me that the question one asks here is not is that a reasonable thing to do, but are the people volunteers? Um, no, but it, uh, I remember running one of the standard uh, ways to introduce people to um, take him out is to it's the standard barbarian opening, which I think I've talked about here before, is to uh, strand a, a tribe of refugees in the port of Jakala um, and use them as um, a means of introducing players who don't know anything about the world to the world. I ran this once at a convention and had a couple of experienced um, old Tecumel hands there. And uh, the, uh, and they were playing the guards, escorting them to the foreigners' quarter. Mm. And the dialogue between the two guards is that they commented how the chap climbing up the, the ziggurat to have his heart out. He was a war captive, and how noble he was being in, in, in going up and accepting his fate and uh, let, letting the, the, uh, and, and singing his, his death song as, as he did so. The dialogue between the, between the two of them and the <laughs> expression on the faces of the newcomers was just wonderful. <laughs> as I say, it's a, it's a complicated detailed world. I'd, I'd also mention some of the books that, that Barker and his enthusiasts have brought out purely as background. There's Deeds of the Everglorious, which is a list and history of the various legions of the, of the Petal Throne, giving uh, their, their culture and uh, the reason they are the way the way they are, mm -hmm. what their current state is. There's Mitlanyal, 
which is um, accounts of the temples and the gods and the theological issues and, and the various subcults and aspects of the gods. Oh, it, it's it's beautiful. But that title, Mithlanyal, which means the gods, takes me to another problem, which is the is the language. Barker actually published um, a, a guidebook, a dictionary, and um, and, lang and language guide to uh, to Sonyanu, the the language of the Empire of the Petal Throne. And there are lots and lots of words in there. Even if you you don't have the enthusiasm to actually go out and learn it, and I think only about six people in the world ever have. Hey. Um, but there's, there's there are lots of words to learn. You can't. There is no easy sh shorthand for for Tekimel. The alien species are nothing like elves, nothing like like dwarves, nothing like anything. The Ahogia are have eight limbs, smell eight limbs, eight sexes, and smell bad, and have really a terrible attitude to, to the mm. rest of the universe. It seems to me that this comes back a little to something we've been talking about in earlier episodes. Mm. Um, you, you've mentioned the barbarian beginning, but it, it, apart from that, let's say you wanted to run a campaign in in the civilised part of the yeah. setting, you're going to have to get the players to absorb an awful lot just to be able to get by. Up to a point. Um, I think there is a way to do it stage by stage. It would You would need to structure a campaign as a learning experience. The way he did... Um, Phil did the character generation for Swords and Glory is actually quite cunning. He published a series of uh, solo play game books, mm -hmm. which would allow you to create characters who had background, who had done things in the past. And if you went moved through it, you'd read the introductions, the the grounding, what your what your character learned in school, and what the typical attitudes of somebody of your class is. And that is actually quite a cunning way way to do it. And if it had been done in service of a better system than Swords and Glory, it would have been glorious. Well, that sounds a bit like the RuneQuest, um, you know, what, what my father taught What my me. father taught, but in greater detail. Yeah. And done, as, uh, as, uh, as I say, as, uh, as an actual solo play. Um, turn to page uh, 56 if you choose to do this. Mm -hmm. Adventure, which I, I, thought, I thought at the time was dead cunning. And I... I I sort of wish, as I say, had been done in service of a better game. I I was running through games that I could try adapting this to on the bus on the bus on the on the way here. Fate maybe, if only um if only I understood how fate works. I I know there are still people out there, enthusiastic idiots like myself, who are trying to create a system that, that they work if you work. Yeah, the trouble is it's not it tends to be very hobbyist and very um, very dedicated, and I'm I'm not sure if it will ever break out of its specialist um, ghetto. I think at this point you'd have to be very careful about introducing it to people. And I, I have played in a RuneQuest campaign where everybody else has been playing for ten years real time or more. Yeah, and that is, that is a problem. They they were nice people and they did their best, but they just had so much shared background of the world that it was very hard for me to feel, feel in any uh, way. Well, so. I don't think that's actually going to be a danger because uh, the odds on me finding uh, four or five people who know uh, as much about the background as I do 
It probably fight two or three men more. <laughs> but that's that's a whole different problem. Um, and getting them to sit around the table it is pretty damn small. If I ever, if I ever run it again, I'm going to have to start with the barbarian opening or start gently with you are members of this clan and you're growing up together over here. But as I say, the mechanics problems. It seems to me that in some ways it was very much ahead of its time because when, when, was, when was the first version coming out? Oh, was it in uh, based? 74, 75. That Which is really well, well before anybody else was bothering to say, here is a specific world with a book yeah. about the world that you can buy. Yeah, there was one article, I think, in a German uh, magazine which called him the Forgotten Tolkien. Uh, he was a, a Tolkien for, for the gamers. He had all Tolkien's um, enthusiasm for, for language and background and, and history. Mm -hmm. And he put it together. But we didn't know how to service that sort of creativity and make it available to other people. I don't know if we, I don't know if we do now. I think it's worth bearing in mind just how long it took for an actual Middle Earth role playing game to come out. I mean, yes, some some of that was legal fights, but yeah. it was it's very hard to, to to do that sort of epic thing when when your when your system basically supports people beating each other up in a pub or a dungeon. Yeah, well, is the One Ring better? Um, well, I haven't, haven't seen the most recent uh, version. Because I never, I never, I I I have problems with um, with Iron Crown Enterprises. I mean, the maps were beautiful, but. I never felt the system served it. I, I think the magic system was entirely inappropriate for that setting. Yeah. It's a problem. You, you it, get it was basically the Rollmaster magic system. Yeah, so, and that, that was that was a problem. And I, I like the Rollmaster magic system. It, it, it's great for some, some sorts of fantasy game, but it doesn't fit what people do in Lord of the Rings. This is also true. Even if you hit it with a very big crowbar, <laughs> which they did. Anyway, dri we've drifted yeah. off off onto generalities, but that that is my, those are my feelings about Empire of the Petal Throne, and I feel I I feel I look at it and I think I am not worthy. I am not worthy, but I think I'll drag out my notes and I'll give it another try. In case anybody feels madly enthusiastic, is is there in current publication a decent set of books that will get give you the background? Um, there are. They are expensive. Tika's House of Games, which you can probably find. On the, on the web, I'll stick it in the show notes. Is um, is the is the great provider, and there is the Techumel Foundation, which is trying to get every single bit um, of what Phil Barker left available on uh, on the web, and we can but excellent hope and support such an excellent thing. Mm. Let's move on. the sort of range of systems that Tegumel has seen, it occurs to me that there are a lot of different expectations from a modern game system than from, from an original one like D&D. Well, we didn't have any expectations of D&D. We didn't know, know what we were doing. Some of us still don't. Yes, but as soon as it had come out, people assumed that's what a role-playing system is like. Yeah. We and the D&D clones started almost immediately. Oh, God, yes. Tunnels and Trolls was quite fun, if only for the silly names. Hmm. Um, but also, look, look at some of the games we've taken out of the cupboard. There have been things that seem to me, and I won't say I'm the most modern of role players, but I've certainly been affected by stuff I've seen more recently, just to be missing. And one of, one of these is, well, who are the PCs? 
Yeah, uh, the, the default answer for D&D was they are this bunch of guys in the pub who don't mind going out and hitting and killing things. And sometimes that led to, there are a bunch of uh, guys in the pub who don't mind going out and killing people in the pub. Mm. The sort of local murder-hobo syndrome. You come from nowhere, you go from nowhere. You are all a man with no name um, in uh, the Clint Eastwood character. Wanders into town, causes trouble, and mm-hmm. wanders out again. And if you happen to be in, in, in a, living in a world like that, learn carpentry, <laughs> sell coffins. <laughs> I was looking at the history of you know, what sort of games are available when, and I, th- I think some of this is in relatively early days, say the first decade or so. Yeah, it was just assumed that you got the game and you played the game, and and if there was a particular world, you played that world with that game, probably. Mm. Uh, but broadly speaking, if, if you wanted to switch to a different one. Um, you would probably a have different one, a different, a different, world. A different world, a different yeah. campaign. You would probably end up learning a new system for it. I don't know. There More was a less. tendency for for everything to become D and D. What once there were other systems. All right, fair and enough. W- the, the thing that struck me as changing this is Worlds of Wonder. Yes, that was uh, uh, that in was eighty two, I think. Yeah, that was a, the attempt to to make um, Ringquest's uh, system spread out a bit. It, it had already. Uh, spread to to being Call of Cthulhu, just about, yeah. just about, and, and, they, and this was superheroes and generic fantasy, and what was the other one? Uh, Sci, was it? I, I, th- no, I think no. it was a, a future space world. Could well be. Which is which is it? Which is all about Westworld, and, and yeah. But th- that certainly started it, as far as I can see. Um, a few years later, GURPS came along, hmm. and made a point of being, this is the one system that you need to learn to play in all these different worlds. Yeah. Um, and then in the 1990s, you started to get genre-specific games coming up again. Like, for example, White Wolf and Vampire. And yeah. they, they tried to make that system generic later, but it was developed for that specific thing. Yeah. And now it narrowed down even more with indie games. And it seems to me that if, if you're looking at a game that was being published in that generic Games of the Good Thing era, yeah. as quite a few of the ones we've looked at have been, they were trying to be generic, and so they weren't trying to channel you down to, down to being a particular thing. Hmm. They were saying, yeah, here is this world, you can go and do whatever you like with it. Yeah, Which but... is fine as far as it goes. Go on, yeah. And what, what it doesn't do is answer, who are these people? Hmm. And why are they doing this stuff? Uh, it, I think one, one of the characteristics of anything one could call a modern game is, if you are asking, who are they, what are they doing? There will be a one-sentence answer to that question. Yeah, the elevator pitch. Yeah. And while I don't think it's ideal to sum things up in that sense, I think it's a good idea to have an answer to that, because apart from anything else, if you're me, you're going to have to persuade other people it's an interesting thing that you want to play. Well, true. I will say that nowadays, what I see uh, with the generic systems is, here is the world, and here are the elevator pitches you can do inside it. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody is now bringing out a game which doesn't at least give you a starting point of here is some stuff you can start playing more or less straight away. Yeah, um, that is, uh, you you don't have to to figure things out. And you don't have to discover by playing what the default adventure is. The Traveller, for instance, has got the uh, two default um, adventures. There's the buy things, sell things, try and keep your starship flying Okay, which can be fun. Um, and there's the uh, you've got a scout ship, you've got some fuel. Let's go out and steal things and cause trouble. 
That's funny. I thought the default traveller adventure was you are betrayed by your patron. But... <laughs> yeah, no, that's Shadowrun. <laughs> well, anything cyberpunky, anyway. Looking in a bit more detail, an another thing that I've, I've found missing is how does the party get together? Uh, obviously, if you don't know who the party yeah. is, then you can't really answer that either. But well, a, a lot of games simply don't bother to mention it. L later modern on. Game? Modern games? No, uh, uh, older All games. Right. Okay, no, true. And th th this is, I think, the thing that started to change before the who are the PCs overall. Is I was looking at Talk when we were talking about that yeah. last time, and that that um, does explicitly say you should try to try to work out possible past connections between characters. You know, maybe they um, went went to the same university and knew each other there, or something like that. And it's a bit weird when they're coming from seven different worlds. Yeah, <laughs> the modern ga modern games will sometimes say uh, in the in a party creation and setting. Right now, uh, tell me what your link is to the player on your left. And that is, mm. whilst it's it's a forcing thing, it does actually make um, it does actually make for some sort of connection, if uh, only to start with soap opera elements built into it. Yeah, we didn't know about soap opera elements back in the day. Or well, we looked at them. Wasn't there a Dallas RPG briefly? It was crap. Trust me, I had a copy once. Yeah, so I, everybody I tried to give it to. I think I gave it to Douglas Adams. That's the name dropping. <laughs> So everybody obviously assumes that soap operas are, are a bad thing in role playing. After that, no, 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 it's just a very bad role playing game. It was, it was. Yeah, I, I, th I think it did poison the well slightly. Yeah, which leads on slightly to, is the start of the game the start of your adventuring career? Ooh, are you, are you, are you the, are you the, uh, the, the, the farm boy who who has practiced um, uh, shooting things uh, back on the farm, and are you Luke Skywalker? If it is the start of your adventuring career, then then any sort of crosslinks are, go are going to be um, well, probably not formed under stress, for example. But I, th I think a lot of games these days tend to say, right, well, you you signed up to this game to play an awesome guy, and yeah. so you can start playing an awesome guy. You, you don't have to wait a year. Yeah, you have you have backstory, and we'll fill it in later. We yes, have... but but also you. You have reasonably nifty powers now. You may get True. more nifty powers later, but you can do pretty good stuff right now. Yeah, the I think I think that the, the general general point here is that what was lacking in the um, in the, in the early uh, in the early games was so, uh, any sort of social contract, not only between the the players, and we had to work out we had to work out our own set of manners um, and etiquette. To, to do that over the years, and some of us are still working on it. Starting with abandoning the idea of the caller. Yeah, starting with, uh, and, and starting with um, uh, with uh, telling the party thief it may be in character, uh, but if you do that, you are not going to survive. Hmm. I, I remember a lot of articles in White Dwarf back when it was a general role-playing magazine hmm. that really came down to this sort of thing, you know, ma manners in and out of game. Yeah. Well, the the debate st still go goes on. The RPG net, the, the cry goes up. How do I deal with this tosser? A a approximately every two or three months, I'd say. Mm -hmm. um, it's a different tosser every time. He's not moving around. I think it's a different <laughs> tosser every time. But I was going to say, not only the social contract between the players, but the social contract in the game universe. The Things like things like you belong to a clan, you belong to a tribe, you believe you belong to a culture. You believe you be whether you, you believe what they believe or whether you're a rebel against it. That's your context. That's where you come from, and you've got something t 
to tie the group together. Maybe it's just you're all relatives of old old, uh, old Professor Armitage and have inherited his um, collection of uh, of dangerous things that he has uh, that he didn't get around to do before he went to the asylum. <laughs> but the first one with that sort of context, probably Runquest, I would guess. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. Runquest had you belong to a a, a cult. Uh, that was that was the the big thing. That's where all the clans, the houses in Ars Magica, all of that descends from. Uh, the the go- the cults of the gods in Runequest. Right. So that's so that's not so much you are all part of. It's you are each part of. You are each and part that, of that gives something, you, and that gives you distinct characterizations that you can then yeah. bring to the table and have have non fatal arguments with other players. And the modern uh, the uh, it should be noted that HeroQuest, the modern um, incarnation of Marantha has rules for creating player bands, for making... Um, you have this ancient artefact, and it gives you some, some magical benefits, and if you if you show it reverence, if you, you, if you sacrifice to it, it will bind your group, group together. Or you're part mm-hmm. of this bigger organisation which sends you out to do stuff, and that gives an excuse for, for being together. But yeah, that, uh, the social contract between, between the characters... Why are we a group? If you can't have that, then you can't have people betraying it or letting it down. Yeah, I'm just remembering um, quite an old game, TSR's Gangbusters. Oh, I never played that one. Did the 1930s before Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. But it's, well, A, it's a D&D clone. Yeah. Or close to it. And B, it really doesn't suggest that, for example, it might not be a great idea to have FBI, FBI agents and bootleggers in the same party. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, it does kind of assume that you're going to be on the side of truth and justice. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the the crossover adventure is, is sometimes a bane. I've spoken I've spoken about my my, my opinions on it. Normally, having demons and angels on the same on the same side. <laughs> really, if you're going to do that, I suspect you'd, you'd end up having to have a um, bigger threat that everybody has to gang up against. Oh God, yeah, we've all done, been there. We've done at that, that point, you are basically running Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, or, or maybe the, the 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 Second World War would come closer close enough. I, I seem to recall the FBI recruited Lucky Luciano to have a word with the Sicilian mob. Better have him inside the tent. Yeah, right. Are there other things that we we do uh, now that we didn't do then that we've learned better? I think possibly a lot more is explicit, and it, it is not it is not assumed that you will read the book, pour over it for weeks. Yeah. Try to work stuff out, make some mistakes and go on. I mean things have been learnt from that and I think it would be fair to say that what what you what you now get told in the in the chapter about what is role playing and how does it work mm. is substantially more advanced than what you got. Yeah, there there, ought, there ought to be a there there are ritual spaces um whereas gen- yeah, that chapter is going to become um, theology one of these days. I can see, I can see <laughs> Some games emphasise this thing, and some games emphasise it, and one of these days they're going to be, they're going to be schisms. <laughs> the thing that occurred to me, and I, I haven't really pinned this down in detail, so I may be completely wrong, so if I am, please write and tell me. The feeling I get is that in a lot of modern games you get the same effect that you get in a lot of very early games, in that injury, loss, the the, the consequences you suffer when something goes mm-hmm. wrong, are basically numerical. 
you know, yeah. You, in original D&D, you, you, you could lose levels to monsters. Mm. Uh, but you could get them back by going out and killing stuff. Um, no, you can. You know, you I can, always wanted to thought that was a good idea. You can lose sanity. You can lose think, things. You like can that. Add, you can use what, stats. You can. Lose. But what you generally don't do, yeah, is find yourself with a missing leg, or blinded in one eye, or it happens. I, I, I your favourite system and, and mine, GURPS, will support that sort of thing. It's not something I see in in a lot of modern games, possibly because the complexity of combat tends to be lower these days. Um, but I, but it, it seems to me that if you've got a number and your number has gone down and eventually you can get your number back, yeah, that's not as emotionally powerful as this bit of the character just isn't working anymore, or may, not even an injury necessarily. I think know. that's. I, 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 I have annoyed this NPC so much that he is simply never going to help me. Yeah, I think that's there. That's there f- deliberately, because. Though people like emoting in certain ways in role-playing games, they don't like dealing. Um, mm. I think, and I don't think this is a, a good thing for for the for the role-playing for the telling of the story. But there, there are con- people want to avoid consequences that they don't, uh, don't want to, and it, it comes down to the to the piece of dogma which I disagree with. Which is that uh, death should only happen by agreement when it's dramatically appropriate death to p- player characters, mm. and and if you say that, then a player character getting his left hand chopped off, I would say in, is, in some is, ways lasting injuries could be worse. Yeah, because you've got to live with them. Because dead character you just generate another one. Um, you've got yeah, there are mechanisms in um, in fate which I do not understand well enough to defend or define, but in fate, if you are about to lose it entirely, to die either physically or mentally or um, even socially, you can take permanent-ish disadvantages. I mean, nothing is permanent when we have the fantasy elements of regeneration, magic, yeah. and super science and things like that. Except perhaps death. And not that in transhuman settings. But you can accept a, a consequence of the action as a, as a meta decision. You can say, "All right, I'm not going to die now, but I have I have taken a terrible scar across my face, and that will be there, and I can't, and that will last into the into the next game. Mm. It keeps me alive. I trade I trade the wor- I trade something bad so I don't have to face the worst thing." One of the GURPS Power Ups volumes, um, it's largely about spending points to do nifty stuff. Um, at, at the basic level, spend a point to buy a success on a die roll that you just failed at. Yeah. Um, but it expands on this, and you can, for example, say, okay, I would just have acquired the one eye disadvantage from the, from this um, bad blow I've taken. Yeah. However, I'm going to spend some safe character points to say that doesn't apply to me. Yeah. That, well, that's and obviously it needs negotiation. But the, this can, in the extreme case, become yes, I'm I'm going to spend uh, fifteen character points I don't have. To get an extra life, I've done it. My, I've done it myself, though normally in the context of um, uh, Almighty Avanthi, save me th- this time, and I will go. I will build an orphanage. I will build an orphanage. I vow it, please. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I think I think yeah, that that uh, that can that can work. I don't myself. You can you can take specificity of um, of of combat results too far. I've moaned about harm in the past, uh, 
and, uh, and Rollmaster. And Rollmaster, and then I will again. Um, GURPS hits a sweet spot for me. You have to, you have to have a clear idea of uh, of what sort of genre you're in and what sort of assumptions you're in. I am a roll the dice on the on the table in front of the players and fudge the absolute minimum that I, that I can sort of uh, GM. Yeah, I and, I, uh, think... and I do, I do, I do feel that the fact a player can chop their arm off, or even as uh, even one incident that caused a, a player to leave my games forever, chop their own leg off, I, I accept that as part of the ne- necessary background to the thrill of being there. Yeah, it, one problem that I found, I th- it happened recently in my Madness dossier campaign, uh, which I was using some variant rules, is. The more you can do, use metagame resources to get yourself out of trouble. Yeah. Simply enough, the less tension there is. It seems obvious, but yeah, no, it is true. Um, I'm I, I'm sometimes tempted to outlaw the luck um, advantage in uh, in GURPS. I have one one player who will always take it if it's available. Yes, it's, I know that chap. Yeah, it's <laughs> not, not the same chap. No, no, but but it's not, it's not an unreasonable thing to do. And uh, and if you if you keep the advantage under control, it, it will. Just being the lucky guy is 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 appropriate in 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 some in some in some sorts of games. But yeah, there there are some settings in which it feels odd. And if mm-hmm. I were running a very hard science fiction setting, I might allow it, but I might I might just say, well, you know, that it's just right, doesn't right, quite right, right, it, uh, Looking at my my most recent GURPS purchase, GURPS zombies, there has to be. I'm not sure I know where the fun is in playing a zombie apocalypse game, but I, I've done a one shot. I haven't done a campaign. But I think luck is one of the definitely one of the things that would go against the feeling of of despair, death, and desolation and heroic struggle. I think. Hmm, I think if I were doing that, I might be looking at. Some sort of expendable resource that lets you do the effects of luck, but only a limited number of times. Yeah. Uh, well, save character points is in effect something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yet, yes, we got out of it this time, but we're less able to cope with it next time, and everything is gradually getting worse. Um, yeah, that might work actually. Um, ab- ab- ablative luck. Yeah. Luck that wears. Luck that wears away as you push it. Oh, that's going to be an idea. Yeah, write that down. I think that might be a good <laughs> idea. I'll tell you what does have that. Call of Cthulhu New Edition. Alright. You can you can spend points off your luck to to retry stuff you've screwed up. Hmm. But it doesn't come back readily. Yeah, that might that that, that I'm not I, I, no, you're starting to make me think I might, I'm looking forward to this. I'm gonna have to spend <laughs> money. Ow. Ow. One thing I will mention uh, I'm about to say um, that that I I do expect in modern games, and that is uh, computer support if it's at all complicated. Yes. You go, all right. Put the butt in there. I. It's probably entirely unreasonable on my part, but I work with computers all the time, and I don't want to have them at the table. Oh, you're going to hate Robin Laws's new project. I'm aware of it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, do you think? Do you have any? Uh, know of any groups where they all own tablets? Um, yes, the Cambridge Wednesday Night group oh, pretty right. much does. Academic plutocrats, a lot of them. They they mostly don't use them during the game. 
Okay. Well, I've got I've got I've got two players and in uh, with the same laptop uh, at one of my groups. And uh, oh, if you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about uh, slab 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 top games, something like that. Look at Robin. Uh, it'll be in the show notes. It'll be in the show notes. Um, who are are doing a Kickstarter for a tablet-based um, role-playing game? It's an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting um, development. I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. I'm not sure if they're not ahead of the wave here. If they hit a sweet spot that works, then it'll work. If, if it's, uh, I, I'm wondering if there is a market who, of people who actually want to do RPGs. But don't want that tedious paper. Yeah. On the other hand, if they're well, they've done their research, presumably they reckon there is. Yeah, that, it could it could well it could well be. But there's another game that um, strikes me as being designed to take advantage of the medium in a similar sort of way, which is View Screen, which is designed specifically to be played across um, video links. Mm. Uh, the the general setup is you're on a spaceship, something has gone horribly wrong, and you're stuck in your compartment. <laughs> Um, well, the, that's... The, specific, the specific thing that has gone horribly wrong varies with the scenario, but you, you can you can talk to your fellow PCs and you can offer help to them, or you can ask for help from them, and you have a limited amount of help to give to them. Yeah, that that strikes me as one of the uh, that's that's the that's the, the an indie that's the high tech indie game that is. It is. Yeah. Well, we will uh, we will doubtless come back to what's different about modern games again another time. No, I think we've talked our way through. And finally, in this bumper festive edition, it is, uh, as we say, the festive season. And it is my custom at this time in fact, at any time of the year when my games coincide with something in the calendar, uh, to try and run something that's adapted to the season. Um, this year, my um, my last game before Christmas will be the first of a, a new campaign of The Laundry, mm-hmm. a role-playing game, and I am planning to uh, introduce them to it with a game uh, based around the festive season and the and the laundry office party, though not the one in the short story where um, where Bob Howard saves the world um, at the office party. But uh, uh, please go and read that; it's very good uh, mm. and online. Uh, but uh, I, I understand you are not that enthused by the idea of doing uh, seasonal specials. I like the idea. Um, it's never actually seemed to work terribly well for me. Um, partly, I think I have the problem with the disconnect of: is it the season? In the camp, is there a seasonal thing happening in the campaign world? Well, sometimes a, a lot of campaign worlds don't even have calendars. Never mind seasonal festivals. Yeah. Um, and if it is, is it actually going to line up? I mean, maybe the maybe the midwinter feast in game is happening in May. Yeah. Well, in in the campaigns well, play, it's, it's not a, the first time I did this. It was um, back in the eighties when I was running RuneQuest for far far too many sessions for far too many years. And as it happened, as the campaign rolled around, um, the sacred time, the Euranthan, um end of the year festival where everybody gets together, recreates their sacred myths and um, and uh, ensures the universe continues existing, mm-hmm. um, uh, coincided with the session before Christmas, 
so they, I had them come across this chap in a red suit with some very strange looking um, strange looking animals uh, pulling a sled in the middle of the, the desert and uh, rescue him from all sorts of nasty things and he gave them presents and flew away shouting um, incomprehensible, incomprehensible ho 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 which was perhaps a crude effort but I think you can do it I think it is quite it is quite fun I have my, the, my last one that I, that I managed to pull I ignored the fact that um, it was spring in the uh, in the game and just gave them a set of deep ones coming out of the ocean um, uh, to attack their party in my Gerb's Bainstorm <laughs> game um, it was it's always there is no uh, season of the year which a, a small frisson of horror cannot come out and that happened mm. to be just before Halloween so there yeah and I, I think when I've done this sort of thing it's tended to be a one shot um, apart from anything else I run quite a lot of one shots anyway mm. And some some of my dragon meat games, for example, have been vaguely Christmas related. Um, but I, I I don't have the synchronisation problems there. I'm, I'm wondering if there's a connection with the thing on see sometimes of, on um, TV series yeah. of having a Christmas episode where things are just a bit weird and they probably don't actually contribute to the overall continuity. Mm, or the, the the Simpsons Halloween episode thing, where. It's definitely said uh, these are stories using our characters, but they're definitely out of canon. I, I, I yeah, th- there is something to be said for that, but I think for most campaigns, it's going to be ignored. I do a one-off uh, game-long session with my Wednesday night group at Christmas, because we're our Wednesday night is usually interrupted by by Christmas for a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. and we go around to one of our houses and play a one-off. There, I tend not to use a Christmas theme. Mostly because um, it would be too restrictive, and I, I can use it to go back to campaigns that we've suspended and revisit old characters, or I can go back use it to um, run games that I'm never ever going to get a chance to run otherwise. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering whether whether one could still work in, for example, a winter theme. Yeah, winter is a really lovely theme, and and ghost stories this time of year not to run a. a a ghost story at this time of year would seem to be a terrible waste. Especially if you can control the environment and um, turn down the lights and have candles and things like that and not set the fire alarms off. You know, mm. Tricky stuff. But anyway, we wish um, you all an, an appropriately culturally sensitive um, Christmas. Um, By the time you hear this, it'll be 2014. So we wish you have had one. We hope, yeah, we hope, we hope Santa brought you or whoever brought you lots of uh, nice stuff, and you could write to us and tell us all the nice stuff you you have, and um, ask us what you should do with it if it's role playing related. Yes, and I'm sad to report that the Russians are now not naming one of their missile submarines after Saint Nicholas of Smyrna. I, I I just love the idea, you know, travels around the world bringing presents to all the good little boys and girls. And blowing the rest to atomic smithereens? Maybe, maybe, but they've renamed it now, so... What a shame. <laughs> <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Incomprehensible gibberish. Ho, ho. And on that note... That was Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice. With me, Michael Kuehl. And me, Roger Bell West. And if you would really like to send us all your suggestions and uh, comments, please do it to... Podcast at tickeli.ly And that is that. 
for 2030.